Hi there. Welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. I'm Jason Brand, a couples therapist and your host. This season, we're interviewing couples and getting consultation from my fellow PAC therapists. The podcast gives you an insider's view into how a couples therapist learns to do their job. In this episode, I get another opportunity to sit down with my colleague, John Guy, to discuss the Ron and Shakir episodes. While we'll be discussing clinical material, this isn't a substitute for therapy or clinical advice. It's here for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you or someone you know is struggling, please seek the help of a licensed couples therapist. John Guy, a couples therapist from Seattle, has a background in mindfulness and PACT. He's very helpful in providing consultation about how to identify and think about the ways nationality, religion, gender, race, class, and sexual orientation may add layers of challenge to life inside and outside of therapy. In that first interview, I invited him to discuss the question, how does a white couples therapist from Berkeley think about issues of race and culture with a black couple from Alabama? I'm inviting him back to continue that discussion, and also because I love the way John positions himself as a therapist. He manages to be excited, serious, relaxed, authoritative, and accessible all at once. I very much enjoyed both interviews with John, and I'm excited to share this one with you. So what are we waiting for? Let's go. Hi, John. How are you? I'm, I'm really good today. Really feeling grounded and present. What did you see in the second interview and what's top of mind for you for us to talk about today? I um, really noticed for me what was a marked difference between the last video and this video. I think you and I had talked about the growing the culture. That's one piece that was present for me. And it was obvious that had shifted from the first one. Yeah, I felt big shifts too. I had a question for you about the growing the culture, what, about what you had said about growing the culture. In your mind, does that include the therapist also? Is the therapist growing along with the couple in the session? Yeah, at least that's my experience of my work with couples. And I guess when I think of growing with the couple, there's a point at which they'll start using the language we speak in that starts to feel to me like, oh, we're, we are here together creating something, a new way of thinking about this marriage, this relationship dynamic. I feel like I grow with each couple that I work with, that, that there's something that I need to get to inside myself in order to help the couple. That, that it's like they're trying to unlock something and I'm also trying to unlock something in my own self that is going to help them. Yeah, it's striking to me. I think that growing with the couple is, is that's a part of it for me because I'll see flashes of oh, I feel and do or think or say these things that either one of the partners might be saying. And, th and then I understand it more fully by seeing it happen in front of me. There was another piece around growing with the couple that, that stands out for me when I think of my sessions. And it has something to do with um, learning about their vision together as a couple, mm -hmm. where they see themselves in three, five, 10 years. And I, I feel as if there's a part of me that comes to live in that vision with them and try to steward them into it in some sense. Uh -huh. I don't know if that sounds too paternal or what, but I find myself some of the principles of our work come to mind mm -hmm. when I'm watching them. And I'm like, if you're going to start a family together, what would it be like to listen in this way, seeing where they want to go and how the things they're doing 
might trip them up from getting there and and being an advocate for their vision with them. You know? I don't think it's paternalistic. I do think that there's something about being a guide for people, especially when it comes to this idea of secure functioning. We have a real understanding about what what it looks like, what it feels like, what are some things couples can do to be in a secure functioning place. And certainly if we're seeing things to call it out and to say, does this work for you both? Yeah, which it just makes me curious about this couple in particular. I get curious how they see themselves differently three years down the line. What what do they want to be doing? How do they want to be feeling? How do they want to be living? I find myself curious about it. Yeah, And, and how to orient them in that direction. That was a lot of this session I felt Mm. like was, yes, there's a lot of water under the bridge here. Yes, there's a lot of history. Yes, you guys, communication and understanding as these two areas where you get stuck. But how are we going to situate you in a way that this gets you to where you want to be moving Mm -hmm. forward? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I loved the way that you inhabited the space with them and it things felt very easy. Everything flowed in a way that I, I didn't notice the first time and found them much more open to talking directly to each other, much more fluid that, that since we're here digitally <laughs> during this time, that sense of when we're physically together in this space and you can just turn the chairs and everybody can turn and face each other or turn as they need that, that, that process felt more fluid this time to me mm-hmm. as well in that that felt like kind of that growing the culture too. What did you see in the culture when peeking in at, at that session? Were, were there other, certainly more fluidity? I, I agree, uh, a bigger sense of ease. And were there other things that that came to mind about what you about what you saw? I really just liked how much they were turning towards one another and really um, being much more willing to engage and talk to each other than as much to you. I felt like the first session, what I remember is, a bit more of this, which is normal near the beginning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was probably the biggest piece. And and I think that for me, there there was definitely that greater willingness to open up, to make themselves vulnerable. There was that beautiful leap by Shakir later in the video of saying, I'm scared, which to me is right on the edge of where we need to be or where our couples need to be about being real and open and raw with each other. It's that enlivening factor And so I think for me, that was one of the biggest cultural shifts was the vulnerability. First of all, there was just a lot going on. They were on the road in Mm -hmm. Cincinnati. And then to get to what they got to, this I'm scared shitless of this place of being vulnerable with you and Ron talking about, I'm walking on eggshells. And it feels like if I make a move, towards you, that there's something that then is hanging over our heads. That to me felt like a real movement of the conversation or of the culture, as you're referring to it, from something to something different. I'm thinking of Brene Brown. I'm thinking of vulnerability. I'm thinking of the emotions of sorrow and fear and sadness and loss and shame and the kind of things that we normally don't want to talk about because they feel very vulnerable but are exactly the kinds of things that we're afraid to speak up about in in our relationships and how much that broke things open in this session and allowed them to really experience something different with each other or at least different in the session with each other. There's that great moment where Ron gets sort of set up as the logical one 
And then he says this thing about, I want closeness too. I want to mm -hmm. be close to you. I thought about our interview quite a bit there because it was even logic can become an assumption that, that we have to really be careful, especially with these sort of loaded kind of terms like touchy-feely and mm -hmm. logic, that those words or ideas don't begin to become bigger than the person who's vulnerable underneath. Yeah, yeah. And there's a way that both the folks that we're working with and ourselves can become a little bit blinded by the, the term, the assumptions behind logical or touchy-feely and what those mean. But I love the way it got clarified. It seemed to get clarified here that with both of those two things, that touchy-feely isn't about physicality necessarily. It's about emotional honesty, emotional revelation revealing mm -hmm. oneself to each mm -hmm. other and how the logic is. And I think Shakir said it to, to Ron at one point, right? I didn't mean that you are only logical, just it, like you lead with that. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you talking about that, that greater depth that we need to hold for each of each of the folks in the room. I think of some of the work, the men's work that I've done. I hold this idea that for those of us, I'm claiming it for myself, that maybe lead with logic that it does sometimes cloud our vision, right, of, of the emotional language, because there's a, for me, there's a, of course, we want to be logical and rational. <laughs> I think there's a cultural preference for it or a, a veneration of logic and rationality. And I sometimes get suspect of it when, it, when I see it happening often, like mm -hmm. it, can easily, it can easily deflect or push away somebody who's quote unquote touchy-feely. I still don't feel like I have all the pieces of the puzzle in my mind with Ron and Shakir. I'll give you an example. With, let's take this logic thing that here's a hypothesis that Ron says, I want communication between us. Now, my sense of that is that the logical thing that he's saying is you walk by me sometimes and don't talk to me. I see you with other people and you seem more relaxed and sharing more. And so the logic is connected to the emotional, which is that you're sharing these things outside of me. And if you brought more of that to me, we would have more emotional sharing. Does that wash with you? Yeah. I find myself wondering if you're skirting something there. Why do I, and because I feel like when you say that it's the logic is connected to emotion, and I guess I hear in your description, yes, it, so yes, your hypothesis washes. And I feel like sadness, uh. like the, the logic is right. Like I see you communicating with these other folks and I'm sad that you don't do that with me. There's sadness here. And that sadness, if it were shared openly, for example, less logically. Uh, in quotes, yeah. It would, would help him feel close to Shakir or help Shakir feel close to him or and, that, and I love that you framed it that way because just, I guess, in my own experience, this is what I feel when I look inwardly, but also when I work with my clients, both individuals and couples, is that logic is definitely working for, like it works backwards to point to emotions in some sense, like mm -hmm. feeling this. And the logical thing to do about feeling this way is to say X, Y, Z, but it often leaves the referent out the shortcut or the skirting that it's sort of staying away from sadness when i see this happening it makes me super sad and 
that that might be a more direct route to Ron getting what he wants. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. There's a problem with that, though. There's that interesting moment where he says to her, it's very, it was a very vulnerable moment. He says to her, basically, if you're scared shitless, what am I doing to make you scared shitless? Yeah. And she says, this is just being in a relationship. And I thought, hmm, skirting something. I mean, I, I thought, and again, this is I'm rewatching. I've rewatched this multiple times. There's something about being in this particular relationship. There's something about being here with Ron. And this is where Ron's logic does add up, which is, but I see you being open and vulnerable with other people. And so how am I not supposed to put together that with me, there's something that I'm doing wrong or mm. something that there's something hanging over our heads? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had that moment as well watching the video. I, I remember thinking a few things. I wondered whether or not Shakir was going to say what it was he is doing. Mm-hmm. I wondered whether or not, because I, I saw the leap, the vulnerable leap it took for her to express herself in a raw way. And I use the word vulnerability not lightly. Like she said, scared shitless. And so in a way, I wondered if she was waiting for him to reciprocate because to say, to name what he was doing wrong would be maybe like too direct, right? Right. Like in that moment, as he's starting to open, and I might be overthinking things here, but I wondered if Shakir was letting him arrive at the openness to self-reflect, because that's what I saw was her self-reflect that what I do is retreat or um, what did she say? Yeah, I withdraw. Withdraw, I mm-hmm. withdraw. And so I remember having a moment after Ron responded where I was like, the question from Jason was, what do I do that shuts down communication? And do you see what I'm saying? There wasn't an equivalent response from Ron in the fullness of that moment. It was, okay, so if you're withdrawing, what am I doing? As opposed to, okay, maybe I'm doing this. Not not that that's not valid. It's completely valid. But I feel like my my logical brain is, okay, this person shares something that they know they do. Now this person should share Uh what they do. (laughs) Me and you both. Me and you both. I'm stuck on that, though. I have this parody thing in my head. I'm almost with you on that, though. I want to, uh, it's getting closer in my mind. Can we just go back in there one more time mm-hmm. and so I can get that? What did you, what did you mean? I'm, would it be helpful to t- pick an example of, tell me if this is helpful or not in, in describing this. Let's take the ribs, right? Which is that Shakir cooks the ribs with the special barbecue sauce. Mm. Ron shuts, Ron shuts it down. It sounds like it is. So I'm just using their language and maybe I'm not getting the example mm. perfect, but Ron mm. shuts it down at a certain point and says, I'm going to eat the wings. And this is, I'm inventing this because we don't know Ron's interior, right? Totally. So 100% with you on that. Yes. Interior, so I'm not pretending to know Ron's mind, but I ended up taking the ribs, the wings. And I like that you chose that, that delicious example, but yeah, just like disappointment is that's what's happening when you shut down there. Uh-huh. When Ron shut down there, yeah. What is the emotion? Because it's going to be different in each situation. I'm guessing. What are, What is the emotion now that is causing me to shut down that I'm not sharing? 
Right. And and this is, I guess for me, you mentioned we exchanged notes a bit or you exchanged notes with me and you'd mentioned that piece around conflict, moving through conflict. And for me, conflict is something to be worked with skillfully. And when done so, you get greater connection, but mm. there's the risk of being vulnerable. So like to open up and say, I'm really disappointed, <laughs> I really wanted my ribs tonight or whatever. Mm. But that vulnerability is tenderness especially if both people are willing to do it at the same time. Yeah. You're making something crystallize in my mind, which is that in the session, one thing that I did, if you, if, if you watch, which is I do a lot of down the middle, it's what kind of relationship do you guys want? Is this good for both of you? No, stop going in your own separate little silos here. Stay together, think together as a team. And they responded really well yeah, to that. Like, and then from there, once that sort of loosens the joints a little bit, there was cross-questioning. So it was then it was like, okay, you're together here. What does Shakir want? What does Ron want? What's Shakir like here? What do you know about Ron here? But it took a lot of expanding the definition of what a of a shared vision, as you said. Yeah. I've been using the term a we-lationship instead of a me-lationship. <laughs> I like that. I like that. The only problem is people can't see your face lights up when you say it. But yeah, but that's part of, again, that growing the culture with the couple. What is it? What are we trying to move towards here? So I noticed you doing a lot of that down the middle. I noticed you asking them to to think as a team. And I guess that's maybe reframing what I was saying before is inviting them to think as a team as to what are the underlying emotions here if they're mm -hmm. not being spoken to. I, I don't know about you, Jason. So many times people say they want better communication, but I feel like that word is somehow a catch-all term for many, many, many different things. Like it's mm, a uh -huh. communication, but there's so many different dynamics that happen under the umbrella term of communication. I find myself, I'm thinking of one couple I work with where sometimes it's that they're struggling to understand each other's interior and don't know how to communicate it well. But sometimes it's like accepting each other's interior. Like I hear your reality and I don't care. I'm overriding it or whatever it mm -hmm. might be. And so, yeah, just two examples of how communication feels like it can be many different things. Communication is just the vehicle in which you're holding that person in mind. That's yeah. just the road, the city and all the life and all the emotion and all the teeming stuff is I've got a vision of we, and I hold you in mind in a way that I see your vulnerability. I see your humanity. I have care for you. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself in my sessions often using the, the language of a journey, like on our journey, somebody's tripped and twisted their ankle and neither of you is going to move forward until both of you tend that ankle. And it doesn't help if your ankles hurt and you say, ow, and I say, well, why are you out? More useful to be like, how does it hurt? And how can I do something different to make your ankle better so that we can move towards our love, our vision together? Selfishness gets in the way. I think that's why I like the, the me-lationship and we-lationship thing. In the next session with Ron and Shakir, I think one thing that I'm really... I think down the middle again, keep on that. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. when something comes up like communication or something comes up like understanding, I, I want to just really push them to, to do it. Just Shakir, let's see how well you can do this kind of communication that Ron wants. Go. Mm -hmm. Ron, let's see how well you can do this kind of understanding that Shakir wants. Let's see if you guys can actually make a moment 
of this together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what worked so well last time. Keep on keeping on. John, I have this like gnawing thing happening in my mind, which is you got to talk about race. You got to talk about race. How do we fit that in? Do we have to talk about it? It's not an issue unless it is. (laughs) That's kind of of the way that I hold it. Or Mm -hmm. to quote my friend and colleague, Jen Harkness, she was sharing a video that she produced where she was like, she's a white woman. And she said, when I'm with John, I have to both remember and forget that he's a black man because it's not relevant unless it is. And as I was watching the session, like I could feel part of what I meant when I talked about greater ease too, is just that there was greater ease. It seemed between all through the mm-hmm. room and I couldn't see anything that really screamed out at me as needing attention uh, as far as racial dynamics, either between them as a couple or between the two of you as client and therapist. And so for me, there's one thing where it's, we, when it comes to us working in the present moment, this thing I want to stress, if it's not present in the present moment, then calling it in mm-hmm. without reason seems inappropriate. However, to forget that it might be a dynamic here mm-hmm. is also unwarranted. I'm thinking of something that happened to me that if I were part of a couple could easily come up in a, th- a therapy session with my therapist where mm-hmm. I was with somebody, we were on a hike and we ran into a cop and the cop pulled us over. I was black, she was Mexican. And that could easily, we could have had an interaction about that. And, and here it is right there in the session. And who knows, but this is why I feel like it's a simultaneous learning to hold that this is something real in the world. And yeah. That my black clients or my whatever background that might be Indian, whatever, it may very well come to bear on this session at any moment because it's a reality in their life moment by moment, by yeah. day, by year. So I don't know if that's making sense to you where it's, I didn't seem like there was anything there then. And you probably be remiss to let your guard down or it might take you by surprise if you were to somehow like not have it as part of your toolbox. Part of the toolbox is... For me, so in my work, it feels like a continual learning curve. And I want to give an example of one of my individual clients that I work with who, because of their volunteer work, they know a lot about immigration law Mm -hmm. and policy as it's being shaped on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And they're an advocate. And I've learned a lot about what it means just by listening to their struggles in their daily life about what it means to be an immigrant from a particular country coming here and that particular country's struggles Mm -hmm. in their background. And so now I'm not going to, and I have other folks from that same background, clients from that background, and I'm not going to assume that's a problem for them, but I'm always going to have it like on the back burner in some sense, because it may very well be. So I feel like the tool is to hold one's learning about other folks' experiences who are different from us close at hand and to not forget it or leave it by the wayside as it might relate to the couple's dynamic with each other, especially if they were an interracial couple or otherwise. What do you know personally about the experience of being Black? And I don't mean from a lived experience because this is what we're talking about, right? Like just by having listened to, been in the culture and thought about what that means, not Mm -hmm. in a preemptive way, but to just be aware of it as sessions happen and unfold. There have been times in both my personal life and in my professional life where I didn't understand what something meant. If somebody Mm -hmm. says, it just happened this week where 
where somebody was talking about swimming and not learning to swim. And she said, the country that I'm from, culturally, it wasn't part of that. And, and I was connecting it to trauma. I was connecting mm -hmm. it to the trauma of the relationship and them not trusting each other somehow as she was having difficulty learning to swim and the, and him being hard on her and, and that. But I didn't have the cultural piece in mind. And then when she explained that to me, that be, had to become a part of my understanding then. It was like, okay, so now I don't have this lens by which to think about this. So I better get curious here and allow her experience to unfold of the, the cultural piece here mm -hmm. that I'm not taking into account in my understanding as a therapist. Yeah. And that's why I feel like it's a continual growth curve because how mm -hmm. can we know about everybody? Right. I always found it somewhat irritating if you had that diversity class in your training, your basic training, where you're trying to review all groups and like it just, yeah, I, I feel like it's more of a mindset, a growth mindset with regards to race and nationality and all of that and letting it be part of what informs you. Yeah, it came up in an interesting way with Ron, where I asked him about the interviews and he yeah. says, I saw something very interesting in those interviews. And I'm thinking, okay, here comes race. And he <laughs> says, you treated me differently because I'm older. And I thought, whoa, I didn't prep for that. You said that it surprised you. And I was curious about what surprised you. Generally, I wait until something comes up and then I seek consultation on it. So let's say I'm working with people from another culture mm -hmm. and I'm beginning to feel like, you know what, I, I think I'm playing mm -hmm. something out here, which doesn't feel comfortable to me. I will go seek out consultation on that to give me a framework for understanding it. This was a little bit more preemptive mm -hmm. because, because the podcast is about learning and Ron and Shakir contacted me. I said, oh, they're a black couple and so it'd be interesting to talk to a black therapist about this case, a little different than it would be in normal work. Right, where you were led to the consult for a particular thing that was actually coming up. But there is still that thing. I think that there's still something to this where, where you think, okay, I'm going to prepare myself for, for this thing. And then when you get down to it, or when it plays out in real time, it might be something completely different. Yeah. You know? And I think that's why I'm not trying to be an advocate for theories of intersectionality, not, but I'm not also I'm not also discarding them. I feel like this is why they're important because we talk about mm -hmm. age discrimination and intersectional thinking. You and just take so, a step back and just say what intersectional thinking is. Well, just the, all of, I guess in my, in my own language, it's just all the isms, ageism, racism, homophobia, all the, all those kinds of things. And so yeah, age feels like a part of that package because there's a mm -hmm. youth bias in the culture and that kind of thing. One thing that stood out to me about the two of them as a couple was each time you directed them to that it was about between them and to talk to each other, they actually seemed far more capable than their complaint about communication sounds to me on the surface like they they were able to communicate deeply and it was just about that pressure i'll make myself the bad guy here because i feel like i'm calling them both out are they taking the easy way out when they shut down or withdraw because the the heat of intimacy is too intense and so 
we could communicate, but it's much more comfortable <laughs> to withdraw or to shut right. down. It's much more comfortable in the bedroom or in front of the television to in this separate way. Yeah. However, it's funny because you're saying the bad guy. I'm actually thinking of a way. One nice thing that I love when it works out is when you get to be the cheerleader on behalf yes. of the couple. And so this is, and this is a great example of that where I could say to them, you guys are better at this than you think yeah. you are, or then yeah. that your worries let you believe to put it in a narrative yeah. form. And so stay with it. You're, you know how to do this. You do this on missionary trips. You do this, you did this in Mexico. You did this in Barbados. You know how to do this. Just bring it into the home. I'm not trying to rat anybody out, but amongst the couples I've seen, they're actually comparatively better at it than other couples that have had to work to learn how to do it. I think that it comes back again to this thing about how to encourage a culture where there's more vulnerability to allow the truth to come out. I think Ron knows a lot about how Shakir feels. I think Shakir knows a lot about the kind of communication that Ron wants. I just think that it's a vulnerable spot to set yourself up there. Just as a closing, I was talking to a close friend of mine. I asked him to listen to the podcast and he said, I've never been in couples therapy with my wife, but it scared the shit out of me. And I said, why? He said, because all that thinking about the other person and all that, like, that sounds like hard work. And so a good reminder, this is, this is hard work for people. Big risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big risk. Yeah. And I find myself saying that to, to folks that are calling me for couples work more often. Working with me is hard. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard. I ask you to work pretty hard. Yeah. They've got a really good person to help them do that work in you, John. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time today and the time the other day to watch and the time before. And so thank you so much. I really appreciate your insight and talking to you. Yeah, I really appreciate you inviting me to the sessions to to see how you do it. And um, like, yeah, I found myself learning a lot and it's great to be with you here. There it is, the second time around with John Guy. Thanks so much to him, to Shakir and Ron, and to you. Join me next time as we do the third and final clinical interview with Ron and Shakir. It's a sweet interview, and I'm excited to share it with you. So take what you got from this and apply it to that. Until then, this has been Human Nurture, and I'm out.